Well, we've come to the famous seventh seal. And the seventh seal is broken in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. There's a preparatory silence in heaven, anticipating this big moment, this dark moment, where the wrath of God is finally unleashed on an unbelieving and unrepentant world. Today, we look at the seventh seal in Revelation 8 on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, you can learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store, and podcast when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part two of Revelation 8, the seventh seal. You know, when we start looking at a broken world and a broken planet, instead of shaking our fists at God, maybe we need to look a little bit more at us. Would you agree? I mean, these are not easy concepts, I will grant you. And the problem of evil is a problem. That's why they categorize it that way. But it's just something to to contemplate. Now, Isaiah 34 says these words. It says, verse 1, draw near, O nations, to hear. And listen, O peoples, let the earth and all it contains hear, and the world and all that springs from it. For the Lord's indignation, Isaiah 34, 2, is against all the nations, and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out. Their corpses will give off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood. Now notice the context of this statement. And all the host of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. We saw that in Revelation 6. All their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine, or as one withers from the fig tree. Just take note of it. The current host of heaven will wear away. God's going to remake the heaven and the earth. For my sword is satiated in heaven. This is the sacrifice, I think, that we have. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is sated with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. And the land of Edom is modern-day Jordan, by the way, which is just to the Uh, east of Israel. Now, if you go back to Revelation 8, we have tied a few scriptures together as we look at this seventh seal or the beginning of the day of the Lord. We've had a a silence, a uh, uh, anticipatory silence. We've seen some connections in the book of Zephaniah, Zechariah, Habakkuk, silence in heaven for about the space of a half an hour. And then we see this. I saw the seven angels, Revelation 8, 2, who stand before God. And seven trumpets were given to them. So now we see the seventh seal and we see seven angels. We see the number seven continuing to appear before us. And what we're going to have in chapter eight is four trumpet blasts. If you want the big picture, they are going to be accompanied by judgments that fall on the natural world. The land, the sea, the rivers, the lights in the heavens. We'll have two trumpet blasts in chapter 9 that will affect humanity. And we're going to see these weird-looking locusts, and we're going to see them stinging people. And, and it's, going to be, it's just one of these weird chapters that you got to just put your seatbelt on. That'll be next time we're together. But before this happens, there's a, an attack on Earth's ecology. These seven angels are standing before God. We don't know who these angels are. 
There are uh, angels that some think that they are that are that come from extra biblical books like the book of Tobit, for example, or other extra biblical writings. Some believe their names are Uriel, Raphael, Ragel, Michael, Sarakel, Gabriel, and Remiel. We have some of this in the apocryphal book of First Enoch and other places. And so um, that is just conjecture. We don't know if that's the actual names of these angels. Really, when you look at the Bible, we don't have too many angel names in the Bible, do we? If I gave you a quick survey right now, could you name an angel? Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. That's pretty much what we got, or Satan. And we have some other extra-biblical literature, so we, we can't say for certain who these angels are. But we do know this. There are seven angels. They're before God, verse 2, and they have seven trumpets that were given to them. So they are given these trumpets. What are these trumpets? If you look at the Bible and look at the big picture of the major use of trumpets, two, Mary, two primary uses of the trumpet. One was to call a solemn assembly. It was to call the people of God to the presence of God. So when they wanted to gather, for example, the tabernacle or the later, later the temple, they would blow a trumpet and the people would know that that was a call to come to the presence of God. Number one, use of the trumpet. Number two, use of the trumpet was to go to war. It was the trumpet blast. In fact, the watchman on the wall was told that he needed to blow the warning trumpet when an invading army was coming. And if he didn't blow the trumpet, he was guilty of those people's blood. They were on his hands. But if he blew the trumpet and they did not make preparations to deal with an invading army, their blood was on their own head. Well, here is seven trumpets. Two primary uses for the trumpet. One to call a solemn assembly. Second uh, major use of the trumpet to go to war. What's God about to do? He's about to go to war. What has he just done? Called his people to his presence in solemn assembly. The people of God to the presence of God, and now he's about to go to war. You'll notice in your Bible, I won't go there because we've looked at these passages before, that angels are going to be very involved in the judgment of God. Angels are involved in the salvation story when Jesus is born, the Annunciation, they're there singing when Jesus is born on that Bethlehem night. They're also involved in judgments in the Old Testament. And now they are uh, highly involved here and uh, they are going to execute God's wrath. So another angel came, verse 3, Revelation 8, stood at the altar. We saw a mention of an altar in Revelation 6, 9. He's holding a golden censer. So he's another angel. He came. He's got a golden censer. He's got much incense which was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So all of a sudden, before the judgment actually comes, the table is set. Seven angels, seven trumpets. But before the judgment comes, all of a sudden there's this angel with a golden censer and he's going to add incense to the prayers of the saints in the tabernacle. In the book of Exodus, chapter 30, verse 3, there's an altar and it's a golden altar and incense goes up before the Lord. It's right outside the Holy of Holies. And there it represents the prayers of the saints that have been going up to God. And when Jesus was asked, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, pray in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. For 2,000 years, the church has been praying 
thy kingdom come. What's God done with all those prayers? Well, you could say he's stored them up, if you will. Sometimes we wonder about prayer, right? We wonder about, does God hear, hear my prayer? We might say, what is the efficacy of my prayers, the efficiency of my prayers? What do they really mean in the end? Jesus said in Luke 18, he was telling a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. I'll tell you what, flip over there, there because it applies. Luke 18, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke 18, verse 1. Jesus is telling us to pray at all times and not to lose heart. If you've been praying for a loved one, you've been praying over a situation, don't lose heart. Luke 18, verse 1 says, Now he was telling them a parable to show at all times that they ought to pray and not lose heart. And he said, There was a certain, in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. Luke 18, 3. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterward, he, him, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wears me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Contrast him with God, in other words. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, second coming, will he find what? Faith on the earth. Now imagine just for a second, and if you turn back to Revelation, that the church is here during a good portion of Daniel's 70th week. We don't vote for that, but let's just assume for a moment that that takes place. What would be a constant prayer for a troubled church going through persecution, trials, difficulty, and even martyrdom? What would you be praying for? I'll tell you what you'd be praying for. Thy kingdom come. <laughs> and I think you'd be praying for justice. I think you'd be praying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, save us, right? In the ultimate sense, deliver us from our trouble. And you might even be praying some what we call imprecatory prayers. Like break the teeth of those people <laughs> who are doing this. Look, they're biblical prayers. Okay, I'm not recommending you praying for everybody who cuts you off on the freeway, but you know, anyway, so here's the thing. There is a place to pray for the justice of God. Now, I think the balance for this for a modern Christian is this. Lord, either save them or judge them. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the average person walking on the street, but I'm talking about if you were in an intense situation where you're saying, Lord, I pray that either this person gets saved or you deal with them because look at what they're doing to your people. The prayers of the saints are a vital part of the seventh seal, which is a bit shocking, but it says in Revelation 8, 4, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. It's interesting to me, thinking about prayer, as reading a commentary and I think it was D.A. Carson, who's a, a well-known um, theologian, was talking about how his dad used to pray on his knees at, at a certain chair in their house. And dad would pray out loud because he needed to keep his focus. You know how sometimes when you, you decide you're going to pray and you get down on your knees, and if you do that silent prayer thing, if your mind is like mine, all of a sudden... You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. 
You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Visit the Walk in Truth store today and get the DVD series in Revelation by Michael Lance. The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the seven-sealed scroll, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the mark of the beast, and learn about the new heaven and the new earth. Join Michael Lance in these DVD series of the dramatic, often sobering book. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to order your copy of the DVDs, all available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. It's interesting to me, thinking about prayer, I was reading a commentary, and I think it was D.A. Carson, who's a a well-known theologian, was talking about how his dad used to pray on his knees at, at a certain chair in their house. And dad would pray out loud because he needed to keep his focus. You know how sometimes when you you decide you're going to pray and you get down on your knees and if you do that silent prayer thing, if your mind is like mine, all of a sudden you start going to the Dodger score and this and that and what flavor of frozen yogurt I'm going to get and all of that, right? So he, he would pray out loud so that he could stay on track, which is a good suggestion. And what would happen is as he was at this chair and he was praying, the kids would hear his prayers. And they they said that they couldn't always hear everything he was praying, but that that image of him praying was kind of um, written on their minds and souls. And one of the Carson kids said, a major reason why he returned to the Lord or returned back to the Lord when he was older, so he had become a prodigal, was the image of his father praying. It's one of the things that the Lord used in his life to bring him back to the Lord, which is powerful. Well, the prayers of the saints, by the way, we are the saints. The church, we are the saints of God, and they are praying. We saw earlier the martyrs were saying, how, Lord, how long, O Lord, until you judge? And now the prayers of the saints come before the throne of God. And the angel took the censer, verse 5, He filled it with the fire of the altar, and he threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, and sounds and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. All of a sudden now, the censer and the the fire and everything that was closely connected to the prayers of the saints, all of a sudden becomes a tool of judgment. And notice what happens. He takes the censer. He fills it with the fire that's from the altar and it gets thrown down to the earth and peals of thunder and sounds of and flashes of lightning and an earthquake are things that we've seen around the throne of God right in your Bible. Revelation 4 verse 5. This is where the judgment uh, begins right here. Fire speaks of judgment. The writer of Hebrews says, our God is a consuming 
fire. At Sinai, when God descended upon the mountain, he descended upon it in fire. Moses was up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And Moses, when he talks about that situation in the book of Deuteronomy, said he was shaken in his sandals. Because people, except for fire people who are very brave, don't walk into fires. But Moses did. Our God is more powerful than we can imagine. He spoke the universe into existence. He is not to be trifled with. He is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is love. It is true. But God is also holy. God is also just. And there is a divine firestorm that's here. What are the real master powers behind the world, says one author? What are the deep secrets of our destiny? Here's the astonishing answer. The prayers of the saints and the fire of God. Because God's judgment is going to come down, and it is much connected to the prayers of God's people. The world doesn't find God worthy of worship. Many people in the world don't even give God a thought during their whole entire week, nor will they bother to come to a church on Sunday. There is an attitude in much of the world, and it's nothing new, where people are not grateful, they're not thankful to their creator. They can drink a glass of water, have a bite to eat, look at a sunset, think that the sun is going to rise tomorrow, and the moon's coming, and everything's going to be cool in their life. And for a lot of people, they suppress the knowledge of God. They exchange the glory of God for the uh, corrupted images of this world, the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. There are people who are more concerned about Mother Earth than they are the Father of Lights. More concerned about, you know, talking to us about things that in the end are going to perish. And I'm not saying not to be a good steward of the planet, but we are reading about the fact that Mother Earth is going to be burned up because the Father of Lights is the one who made the planet. We should take care of the environment. It's true. But we better not go cuckoo or wacko over these kinds of things. Now you have little creatures where you can't build something because they're a protected species. You know, they're spotted rats and <laughs> ducks and the like. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Today we can make it legal to kill a baby up to the ninth month of pregnancy but protect a spotted whatever and not be able to build something. There's something wrong with man's heart. John MacArthur comments, the environmental evolutionary pantheism that devalues man and elevates animals and plants and ignores the creator will be severely judged. Earth Day that year will be a gloomy and dismal affair. In a scorched and ravaged world, there will be little of the environment left to celebrate. Close quote. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. They were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. A third, a third, and then all the grass is mentioned here. The first trumpet sounds something. There came hail and fire mixed with blood. 
Now, in many of the judgments that come, the wrath of God that comes, you're going to see a familiarity, a connection with the book of Exodus and the plagues on Egypt. In fact, the book of Revelation is a final uh, Exodus, if you will. It's a final uh, Passover. God is going to judge very similarly to the way that he judged Egypt in that time. And we did see hail and fire in one of the judgments of God. But here it is mixed with blood. I mean, I don't know how literal to take this. Some people say blood is the color. Some people say blood is the result. But the text actually says that the hail and fire are mixed with blood. Can you imagine how brutal that would be? Can you imagine if that is literal? I mean, I've heard it, you know, uh, saying raining cats and dogs, but can you imagine blood coming down? What would be the message that God would want to convey with hail and fire and blood? I thought, I'm sitting at my desk thinking, I wonder if the message is for all the innocent blood that you have shed, I'm going to put it back on your head. Oh, my goodness. Scary thought, isn't it? But God does reckon the blood of the innocent. Now, this is why it's so good to be a Christian. This is why it's so good to be part of the great multitude in heaven with the palm branch in your hand before the judgment begins. Amen? Get saved if you're not saved. Because you don't want to face this. This is just the first trumpet. There's much more to come. And if blood is also spilling in some ways from the heavens, can you imagine what that would be, what that would look like? It's scary. You have the earth burned up. You have a third of the trees burned up. You have grass burned. Everything. Mother Earth is being judged by Father God. Well, Revelation chapter 8 indeed is some heavy, heavy stuff. Are you wondering, well, why does God judge in this way? Or maybe you may be asking the question, why does God have a right to judge in this way? Well, remember that God is your creator and he is the judge. And one thing that we need to know about God, as much as we do talk about God being love, and he indeed is love, he is also holy, holy, holy. He is righteous. And at this point in history, he's given mankind plenty of time to repent, plenty of time to see the signs in the breaking of those first six seals. And so just remember, my friend, that God doesn't want anybody to perish, but all to come to repentance. But he is not going to wait forever. There is going to be a day of judgment. And so I pray that you come to know Jesus if you don't know him. And if you do know him, then please be about his business. Occupy until he comes. Well, hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance. Remember, you can purchase the DVD teachings in Revelation on these seven seals on the 144,000 and the great multitude. You can get more on the new heavens and the new earth. You can find out more about the mark of the beast. These are some of the products we have available from the book of Revelation at walkintruth.com. If you want to avail yourself to that, go ahead and click on the store tab at walkintruth.com and you can access this teaching and you can even check out other products that would benefit your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, check it out today at walkintruth.com. 
Now, I'd like to invite you to tomorrow night's worship service at 7 p.m. as we're going verse by verse through the book of Job, the problem of evil, and the power of the gospel. You know, the only answer to the problem of evil, the only real satisfying answer, is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, finding our answers in a God who entered into our pain in the person of Jesus. You know, he is the greater Job. He suffered without a cause. He was hated without a cause. He suffered, if you will, the cumulative sufferings of mankind. He took the wrath. He took the punishment, though completely innocent. You know, Job was blameless, but he wasn't innocent. He wasn't sinless. Jesus was. And the book of Job ultimately points us to Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the problem of evil and the power of the gospel. Hey, if you'd like to check out the teaching in the book of Job, join us at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. It's the great church behind Walk in Truth. We're located at 1009 Arsenal Way, 1009 Arsenal Way in the city of Corona, right off the 91 Freeway and Lincoln Avenue. You can download the free Living Truth app to get the details. Look for that red logo with the pillars. Download it today in your app store. And you can even catch up on the teaching from the book of Job and get ministered to in that way and prepare you to come on out on a Wednesday night. Now, when you come back tomorrow, we'll conclude the teaching, this radical chapter of Revelation 8 about the seventh seal. Invite you to come back. Keep us in prayer. Keep your heart open. And let's let God work in all of our lives. Until then. Remember, to learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store, podcast, or to donate, visit walkintruth.com. And thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.